0: Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close.
1: We are going to overtime!
0: Yes, the Overtime Pod is back, and as always, it is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sportsbooks in western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos Bet Encounters. Our open daily and self service betting kiosks are available 24 7 at all three locations. So whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek, the sports lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win, Marty. And thankfully, the black and red thrill of the win is alive and well
1: through the month of October. It saved the start of the year, Duffer. It is saved the start of the year, but um, that, I don't know what it is. I don't know why. There's even a buzz with the fans. And look, I love the Royal and Gold mm. way better. Like that, to, like, I'm. I'm saying way better. I Yes, that's my number one. But when they wear the black and red, there's a buzz, a buzz that you can't like take away, and it's, uh, it's fun. There was a little girl by our set yesterday. She had one of the, uh, not the new one, the old jersey, like from yeah. the 90s, right? And I said, oh, let me see your jersey. Oh, do you like it when they wear the black and red? And she goes, yeah, I love it. And it's kind of like... Because it was so like, we want to get rid of the black and red. And now it's like, we can't have enough of the black and red. So, and our jackets were great on the air, by the way. So that was awesome. The
0: jackets are great. They're available in the team store. And we thank Napoli's, our clothing provider, for allowing us to uh, flex out in the casual fan attire for a day. And, uh, you know, do you know the hoodie that I'm wearing right now?
1: No, I can't. My
0: Chemical Romance. So what do you think of with their big song?
1: Oh, I I don't know that. Welcome
0: to the Black Parade. Okay. I legitimately was going to put Sharpie in red ink and alter this sweatshirt today. The black and red parade Pride. is what it was going to say. You don't honestly, want to
1: do that to your nice sweatshirt. No. I
0: don't know, if I wore it around these parts people would love it. Um <laughs> I honestly it is a thing though, right? Like this is not the direction we would have ever expected to be talking after the first month of the season. Yeah. But with all the ups and downs and the reality, the harsh <laughs> or pleasant Vivid reality that is twelve one and one in these jerseys, going back to the start of last year and yesterday's game winner in goal, Uko Pekalukinen, eight yep. oh and one in his career. Like the dude is on track to be in the Hall of Fame if he wears these jerseys.
1: I don't know if it's that the black and red makes him look faster, but he looks faster and like and that was significant in the game. Uh, against the avalanche like wow look at how quick he is look at how he recovers look at he's never waiting or you know just uh, mm-hmm. in in like ov- overthinking his technique it was like go yeah. go 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 like I'm gonna and and that's the feeling I get when he wears the black and red I don't know if it's the color or if it's equipment and that's why I think again equipment with goaltenders when you pick your color scheme and all of that mm-hmm. it matters a lot Although I don't like dark equipment mm-hmm. when Uko Pekalukan wears his black and red, uh, you know, Bauer stuff, he flies on the ice and, and he was flying in that one. Big, big reason why they beat the Avalanche, especially early on. You need that type of goaltending. Eric mm-hmm. Comrie provided that guy that type of goaltending. Unfortunately, he got hurt, but I felt like he was really good. Uh, you know, when he played uh, uh, after the uh, the Calgary game, which was a setback for the Sabers. I felt the Islanders game was good. The Montreal game, he looked all right. So for me, that goaltending is important.
0: This just in.
1: I know no, goaltending is important put it as a title what a bad headline that would be
0: I have good news for you should you need to make a transition I'll put in a good word for you at nhl.com
1: uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> I need to be a editor so I can come up with great lines <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so we are through the first month now for the Sabers, mm-hmm. and both of us missed badly on our well, not badly. I missed badly on our projections for a nine game record this month. Yes. I had them at six, two, and one. They ended up four, five, and oh. I am being 100% honest when I say I would have been thrilled in hindsight, given how these games played out, if they had just gone four, three, and two. And they had four of their five losses where they were tied in the third period, twice with less than 17 minutes to go twice with less than seven minutes to go. And they got nothing out of those games. So four, three, and two would have been nice,
1: even though I was aiming at six, two, and one. How about you? Um, I would have been happy with the same result. I said five, three, and one in the first nine games, uh, which is is a lot closer than you are, Duffer. So I'm going to tap mm. myself and uh, a feather in my map. As Eric oh. Johnson used the line feather in the cap yesterday, we got to go talk to him and really, really, uh, uh, up, up, like educate him on the um, the Wheel of Fortune uh, the nuances mishaps.
0: that we like to
1: introduce yes. when speaking about this team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but. I, I kind of started looking at it in a different way now, and I know this is going to combine a little bit of the month of October with what this upcoming week is like. Don't. But do it. we talked. Well, we talked a lot about these Don five game said, segments.
0: Don't do it. Don't don't look at the future. You have to do. I'm not.
1: I mean, am I'm, I'm going to just pause when I go to back to the future. Um, I I look at five game segments, and it was easy for me to throw away the first two games of the season the way that game three through um, seven went, right? Because it was three wins and two losses, right? So they went three and two in that segment of five games. So you throw away the first two of the season, and then you win three and two in the next segment. Right now, they're not halfway into what would be the next five-game segment, but they're one and one, Mm -hmm. okay? So I'm saying five, three, and one for me was looking at the – the upside of what the segments could have been i'm gonna throw game one and two out of the uh, you know in the garbage and i'm gonna say okay the segment started game three you were three and two in the first segment let's see how the second segment goes and go on and go on so i'm not saying that we were that i'm disappointed i'm saying i was i'm encouraged of how it responded after the first two games let's just say
0: well, you need to park the segments because they don't line up with how the coach does things. So, uh, hey, it's
1: not his podcast. It's our podcast. And that's right. The way but if you're works.
0: not learning from him, then you're not putting it in the terms that we're talking about on a, on a daily basis.
1: Well, every coach has got their different ways of looking at it. Okay. I get... enjoyed segments when we did it. And I know what Don is saying. Don is saying, you know what? If you're 4-0 and in a five-game segment, why should you lose game five? You shouldn't lose game five. And mm. if your goal is to be 3-2 and in every five-game segment, like don't settle for 3-2. and I get it. Mm. But when you revisit the past, I feel like it's good to put it in those type of segments.
0: Well, allow this to be an example of foreshadowing. I'll give you the most recent seven-game segment, i.e. a playoff series. And they just won the series last night, four games to three, with a shutout from Lukanen in the final game. Do you like that series?
1: Yeah, it was one of those that would have given me a heart attack, though, because it was win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. So you're like, oh, my goodness, can – can, I don't want to say can one team, but can they grab a hold of the series, right? And it was the same thing here. Like, mm-hmm. it would have been game six, the New Jersey Devils game, that would have been the one for me that you needed to grab a hold of that series. Mm-hmm. When they battled back and made it 4-4, that was the key to the series. And they would have won in six. Instead, they won it in seven. Same thing. If they win that New Jersey game, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, instead of being – you know 4 and 5 they're 5 and 4 and that's a big difference in the way you see the first month of the season
0: yes um as far as the biggest reason why they are 4 5 and o oh, right now is uh the how big a story is the power play right now
1: for me it's a big story and and it's a big story because it was such a part of their success last year. They got to the power play and it, it, it helped overcoming some of the five-on-five five deficiencies that they had in their game. And I feel like five-on-five, five, they're playing better. And But why is the power play not working right now? Is it because they're not getting Tate Thompson the big one timer? He's had mm-hmm. his chances. Um, it, you know, his one goal in the power play actually stopped the puck. Right? He didn't. Bl- he didn't yeah. blow the one timer. He stopped release
0: eighty-two
1: risked, mile mile against yeah. uh, Calgary. Right? It yeah. was like wait for the goalie to go by and then shoot the other way. Um, Darlene shoots the puck from the blue line, and I feel like he's he's confident in the way that he can provide the offense from the blue line. Uh, you know, on the power play. For me, the biggest thing is the net front. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you causing that net front chaos that I feel they did last year? They did even two years ago. Remember when Calaposo was in the net front for a while, two years ago, and he started scoring and you're like, wow, like he's getting deflection. He's getting rebounds and he's moving out to a different location on the power play. I felt like they had a, a really significant net front option and chaos creator on the fr- uh, in, in front of the opposition's goaltender. And right now it's not there. And I'm not saying it's going to never be there, but that's the big gaping hole in the power play right now because they're not causing what would be uh, a disturbance. And now the net front D on the other team can say, I'm going to shade on Tage Thompson because yeah. I don't have to worry about the net front's presence. I can shade on the bumper on Jeff Skinner. I can, you know, they... The penalty kill and the other teams have a more comfortable way of playing because I feel like the net front is not creating enough.
0: It's crazy how it goes. They are 27th at home, 20th on the road, 29th overall with the extra man. But last year's big negative on special teams has vaulted all the way to sixth as their penalty kill is 92% at home, 83% on the road, and sixth overall at just a hair under 90%. So huge step in the right direction. The crazy part is they have a high ranking and they're being tested a lot. Marty, they've been shorthanded the third most in the NHL this year behind only Montreal and Anaheim. And this was from one of the least shorthanded teams a year ago. In fact, like to put it into perspective here, the Sabres were number one last season in special teams differential. They were plus 81 minutes, meaning basically every single night they were a minute to the good on special teams. They were getting power plays as opposed to PK. They're at the bottom right now. Like, they are in the bottom five, and they're already through nine games minus almost 17 minutes. That's a tough ratio. They're not getting as many calls to put them on the power play, and they're taking more. But they now have their PK specialists like Eric Johnson and
1: they're they're handling this increased workload a lot better. I say the biggest difference on the penalty kill this year for me has been the amazing performances of Jordan Greenway and Tage Thompson. Like those two at the top of the formation, because most power plays run from the blue line, right? Like it's the defenseman at the blue line. It used to be on the half wall. It used to be the power play quarterback was a forward on the half wall and everybody's staring at the half wall. Now most penalty uh, power play are from the middle of the ice at the blue line and that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And when you have Greenway and Thompson and their reach and their length and their sticks and their intuitions starting to disrupt the other team's power play that way, it falls into place because then your defense, like Eric Johnson and Matthias Samuelson, they can read off of what is going to happen because Tage and Jordan are so good at dictating and and guiding the power play a certain way. I think the penalty kill starts right there, right there because then the I mean look at the Colorado game. Colorado got six power plays. Yeah, one was late in the in the third period and it doesn't count. But really, like I don't think. Colorado ever had a power play where you're like, oh, Buffalo's under stress. Buffalo's under pressure. Buffalo's not going to be able to recover from that. No, Mm -hmm. that PK and the power kill maybe is uh, Shayna Goldman's like, you know, usage of word has has worked not to create chances so much, but to be aggressive inside the zone. It has worked and it's worked because I feel like Tate Thompson and Jordan Greenway are a big part of that.
0: Right, and yesterday it was nice to see Tuck take on an elevated role when yes. necessary, when Greenway was in the box twice. But it definitely, I think you need to tip the cap. We'll have to consult Eric Johnson on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> to uh, Johnson himself and to Samuelson, um, they eat the most penalty kill minutes per game right now. Yes. Johnson so much that it had me thinking, he might be best defined as like a penalty kill role player right now across the league and it's very close to being true like his ratio uh, of minutes per game spent on the penalty kill compared to overall minutes that he plays like he's (laughs) the bulk of his time right now almost is shorthanded time on ice so he's become a real effective role player for them in this short period of time it's been nice.
1: According to Money Puck right now, the Sabres rank 15th in the NHL in expected goals against on the penalty kill, okay? So they were expected to give up 5 goals against on the penalty kill, uh and they've actually given up only 4. So they they're they're better, right? They are one better than than where they should be. Here's the difference. All the teams in front of the Sabres mm-hmm. have about 20 less penalty minutes than they have. So they're 15th. And that's only because everybody else has not been on the penalty kill as much. Like if you did the expected goals against per minutes Mm -hmm. and they don't have that on on money puck, but the Sabres would be top five. Not only would they be a team that has a really good power play, a penalty kill percentage, but they're a team that don't give up opportunities a lot. Like you could say, okay, your goaltender is your best penalty killer. That's Mm -hmm. a cliche. And that's usually runs through. But when it comes to the Sabres, I feel that that's not rang through this year. It's not your goaltender that's your best penalty killer. It's your penalty killers that have been dominant in their position.
0: And one stat that we talked about last week was um, five on five, for and against. It, it was an area where the Sabres slightly missed being in that group they needed to be in last year. And it was about as accurate a statistic as you could get for getting into the playoffs. Well, this past week, where they won two out of three could have easily won three out of three. They improved at five on five and now they are on the right side of it at 1.17 goals for per game, you know, at five on five in the four and against differential. They're You know, they're, they're on the good side of it. The base is one, you have to be higher than one and it ranks them 12th in the league. This is a really good place for them to be. And um, therefore that's why we le- kind of led with the power play discussion because, man, just a little bit more effectiveness is going to be a game changer and game breaker for us. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the power play will, if the power play had scored two goals more in the first nine games, which is not asking for a lot. It's just two at goals. At least
0: two more points.
1: That would be at least two points. Then you're talking about, I think it's five and four instead of four and five. And maybe, maybe if you get lucky, you're five, three and one, which was my yeah. prediction. So right. I'm blaming the power play for my prediction not coming through.
0: Do you have a concern or reason as to why the Sabres are shorthanded far more often this year?
1: Uh well, the funny thing is is in the game against Colorado, in nine penalties that were given out, five of them were tripping. Jordan Greenway got <laughs> called for tripping twice. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what maybe I'm just saying maybe I don't I'd have to really dig in, but their need and desire for getting sticks. It sticks on pucks, sticks on pucks, getting close. Like even the caloposo Kilmacar play, like it's Cal getting really up in there, right? Mm. Could it have been a penalty? Maybe, but it's it really have been a penalty. It, Yeah, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't dirty, and it wasn't. You know, and it. It, it was maybe a. I don't think it was intentionally dirty. It's the end result makes it look dirty. The end result is bad. But I feel that most of the penalties that we're seeing are aggressive nature penalty. They're Mm -hmm. not lazy penalty. They're not the, uh, you know, I'm going to just grab you with my stick. It sticks in the way. It's uh, trying to get to a pocket. Nope, maybe I, 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 you know, got there too early or got there too late. I feel like that's an aggressive nature to their play, especially in the last five games that I've, uh, I've gotten them penalties.
0: Career years last year for Rasmus Dahlin and Jeff Skinner. Both are streaking right now. Both are tied for 25th in league scoring. Should we expect this to continue, i.e. that both will again author new career years?
1: I think so. I think that Darlene is um, just continually like getting better from year to year. And now he's even taken another step because he says he wants to shoot more. And when he shot that puck against the, uh, uh, what game devils was that? Friday. The devils that it went over off the pants of Bastian, uh, bastion. Right. But he shot, the puck from the blue line with his left knee getting down to the ice. Like he wanted to shoot it so hard that he wanted to break people in the way of the puck. And I've never really seen that. I've always seen Dallin want to get that wrist shot through, you know, kind of finesse his way. And now he's like, no, I am going to shoot hard and I am Mm going to say, get out of my way. And I like that. And when you do so, number one, puck can deflect off, you know, players that are trying to block and then it Mm -hmm. ricocheted. It doesn't deflect. It doesn't get blocked. And two, it's hard for goaltenders to control rebounds. So there's more opportunities Um, I like it. Darlene in the Colorado game made a play to Jeff Skinner. I wish we would have gotten the speed of the pass. We get speed of shots. The pass had to be an 85 miles an hour pass. Like Mm. it was like tape to tape. He's doing everything like at another level this year. Passing, shooting, like that to me is where he's at. And Skinner, Skinner is like got the, the, the speedy like legs going every time he has the puck. I I like to think that Jeff has always had great uh, edges and he uses them well in certain situations. I feel like this year it's been power. It's been when I get the puck, I take three, four really, really quick strides and I'm using my edges that way. Not the finesse edges, more the power edges. That's the difference with Jeff Skinner right now.
0: Very quick aside here, speaking of pants, because we had a double pants deflection uh in the devil's game we had the pants off of bastion and we had the pants that should have never seen the light of day in an nhl game and i don't know how the oilers can get credit for a heritage classic win wearing those (laughs) god-awful pants like do people think that in the old days there was only one color like and when you attach a word heritage to something you have to make it look like that color like what the are we doing here the Oilers' jerseys were actually really cool in idea and design, and they took away from it with this atrocity in their lower half. I
1: I, I can't tell you how bad they were. It made no okay. sense. It's not part of their color scheme. So I get that you look at old footage of... The Montreal Canadiens or the Leafs or whatnot or the Rangers. And you're going to say, well, they had brown gloves. Yeah, they had brown gloves because leather was brown, right? Yeah. And that's what it was. But the pants were blue. The pants were red. The pants were like, they were they were the color of the jerseys. They didn't wear brown pants. Like The material in the pants was yeah. a fabric that was colored. Yeah. Now, I get it that you tried to do something different. But it Their really didn't
0: They were beautiful. Yeah, the pants did end not degree, come out like good. The the, no. the jersey with the number on it, but then even in the
1: helmet decal, you know, it was the same yeah. thing. And the number, I was like, this is really, really, really cool. This is a great design. Anyway, no, that was overthinking a situation that you didn't have to. It's yeah. like look. Like goaltenders that want to wear a brown leather type replica for old school, yeah, because goalies wore brown gear in the mm-hmm. '60s and '70s, but players did not have brown pants in the '60s and '70s. That's not no. the way it was.
0: Okay, like I said, quick aside. Hey, here's um, another
1: pant uh, little uh, thing. Devin Cooley got to back up Uko Pekarukinen against the Avalanche, and he had his blue Rochester Americans pants on. No, they were uh, silver shell. With, with a silver shell, but you. Gold. Could, but you could tell that underneath them, oh, I, really? I felt I I felt like underneath them it was the Rochester Americans one, um, <laughs> just because it was you know like it, oh I see what you're saying he didn't have his black and red one he had the blue exactly. and gold one that's yes. what it is yes. I was thinking like but I first look I thought Rochester Americans had to toe because he had yeah. the blue pad, pads the blue gloves but the blue pants yeah I see what you're saying. You confused yeah. me yesterday with that. And I was digging, like I woke up in the middle of the night, like <laughs> what was wrong with Devin Cooley again with his pants? Well, he had the blue a,
0: pants. I have a solution for that. Just don't go to sleep. So well, prevents you from back. waking up in the middle of the night. Oh. Well, I went back to bed. Don't worry. Okay. Good for you. Um, <laughs> as far as the other very quick talking points, um, Owen Power has probably not received enough love of late. True yes. or false?
1: True. And listen, the criticism that Owen Power got early in the season and in training camp was warranted. I didn't think he skated well. I didn't think he defended well. I thought there was a little piece missing. And so I dug into some of the numbers when it comes to Owen Power in the start of the season. I split in the the first four games and the last five. You know, Mm -hmm. Couldn't pick four and a half games and say, okay, what's happened the first half of the month, the second half? So I'm saying Calgary and before – And the Islanders and after, right? The second Islanders game. So the biggest thing that stands out is is offensive production. You know, I think with Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin, it's always going to be they're going to defend better when they have the puck. They're going to defend better when they can create offensively. In the first four game, Owen Power was fourth on the group of defensemen when it comes to uh, creating offense. The expected goals while he was on the ice, Okay. In the last five, he's first. He's ahead of Dalene with the amount of chances and the offense that he's created that they, they, he has created. But with his teammates, went on the ice. I mean, Dalene, Eric Johnson, and Connor Clifton were ahead of Owen Power in the first four games. Like, mm-hmm. if you're Owen Power. That that can't be. Like, I love Eric Johnson, and I'm going to, you know, when Connor Clifton comes back for from from suspension, I'm going to love him too because I want them to play in the a role. But you can't have EJ and, and Clifton ahead of Owen Power in the offense that they're producing while on the ice. So that was the biggest thing. You look at the, um you know, the minutes in the first four games. He played 24 and a half minutes on average mm-hmm. in those games. Don Granato, and I, I, I'm i pretty sure this has to be on purpose because they realized that Owen wasn't really going mm-hmm. the right way. In the last five games, they shaved off three minutes per game on average. He went That's from 24 our... and a half minutes to 21 and a half minutes. This is Huge why we talked difference. about it on
0: our pregame on Friday. It was very yeah. noticeable. Now, you can't project, you know, because injuries and whatnot, but I, it, it just felt totally different that all of a sudden these guys were not in the same stratosphere that they often were. So,
1: yeah. And he, so he's produced three times more offense Mm -hmm. in the last five games than he did in the first four, four games while playing three minutes less on average per game that and one of the game, he didn't even break the 20 minutes. He was 19 and a half minutes Mm -hmm. like that. That to me is huge. His partner looks good with him too right now. Henry you? has yeah. been looking great from yeah. the start of training camp. Yeah. I will say this, the, the confidence, the quickness, the decisions with the puck. Like the lineup is, read? The lineup read was the energy through jo- the lineup read. How about
0: Tyson Jost yesterday? You see that one on Saber's Social? I did not see well, Tyson Jost. Go back and read. check it out. It's phenomenal. Well, how about one of
1: those guys get themselves on a bit of a streak here because it's one and done for the lineup read. You read it the second time you read it, you're done. So how about you get yourself on a three, four, five lineup read streak and get it going?
0: Well, maybe this uh, new month will bring that about. Right now they have four wins and five losses. They've alternated wins and losses in each of the last seven games. The lines is the last point of emphasis for us here as we wind down Sabres Live overtime the lines of I mean the line change seemed to work yesterday as they suited up with Thompson between Benson and Greenway they had Mm -hmm. Middlestat between Skinner and Paterka and Cousins between Jost and Tuck and obviously (laughs) the coach was looking for three lines of offense and he kind of got it I mean
1: I know the Thompson line was kept quiet but I thought they had some pretty good chances. No, they had some great looks. And and you know what? When you look at lines, this is three times now this year that the lines have been changed. Started with Thompson, Tuck, Skinner, and then it went to Stat, Skinner, and Tuck, and Thompson was with Cousins and Greenway, and now we've got completely different lines for one game, and it worked. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is that Thompson has stayed with Greenway. And Skinner has stayed with Middlestat, right? So those are the constant because everything else pre- and the, the the Krebs line has stayed the Krebs line. But you know, in the top nine, other than Thompson, Greenway, and Skinner, Middlestat, everything else has changed. Mm-hmm. One of the big thing early on here that I feel the Sabers are trying to to find is is a, a, a I don't want to call it a rhythm, right? Because I feel like that's more like of a football term, like you, you try to get your offense into a rhythm. But the Sabres are trying to find that too without trying to be too tactical, without trying to be too. Think about, you know, your four check one, two, two, and where is everybody at? And neutral zone. Okay. Are we playing a 1D up? And like, just play, just play the game. And when you change the lines, what's the first thing? And I've seen this being on the bench more like with the defense when they change partner and they look over to one another and they say, keep it simple, keep it simple. One D to D, we go up the ice. Like we're not going to go D to D, back to the D, hinge, you know, reverse. Like one D to D up the ice. And now what, like this, the the middle stat line was the perfect example against Colorado. Mm -hmm. Every time they got the puck, you know, the Sabres would always come back into their zone, give it back to their defense slow the game down, regroup. Every mm-hmm. time middle stats line got the, the, the puck yesterday in transition, they went up the ice. Skinner got the puck. He went up the ice. Paterka got the puck. He went up the ice. Um Tuck got the puck. He went up the ice. Cousins got the puck. He went up the ice. I felt like it simplified their way of thinking because mm-hmm. they're different players, different line mates, and you, you, You don't have the repetition in practice to say, hey, remember in practice two weeks ago, we did this regroup. Let's try this regroup. No, keep it simple. Get in your lane and get up the ice. Get north. And that really had an impact because Colorado is the type of team that they like to push offense. But as soon as the Sabres got the puck back, you got to make them come back into their zone, and it worked. And, and I think it would work against a lot of teams, too, if you play simple like that. Now, obviously, if you play the Rangers and they clog up the middle like they did in game one of this season, you're mm-hmm. going to have to find other ways. But I thought that it simplified things when the lines got shambled up a little bit, like uh, Don Granado decided to go against Colorado.
0: So what's your long-term belief in the lines as presently constructed?
1: My long-term belief will always be the same thing, is that you don't have to change it until you either have a personal change through injuries or or having somebody that's not going, you got to move out of the lineup. Mm -hmm. Or is the plan always to get on a little bit of a roll and then go back to your original lines, which would be Thompson, Skinner, Tuck, and then you'd have Cousins with Paterka and... eh, Who knows on the right side is middle stat maybe up there. Like I want to say that before the end of the end of November, we will see Thompson, Skinner and Tuck back together again. Is it for the next in the next three, four games, five games? No, but I would think that around the middle of November, second half of the month, we're probably going to see Thompson Tuck, and Skinner back together. Just if the Sabres can get on a roll here and build some confidence that way.
0: Middlestad going to be a seventy-point player this year.
1: I say just shy of seventy. I he's think Stat's based on is,
0: if, you know going back to like mid-February last year, uh, he's on that exact pace now. So
1: if it's, it's, if it, he it, was it's a sixty-point player like that would be fantastic. Well, he was for he cases. was
0: last year fifty-nine in a last-minute post, you know. Um, well, so that's why I think seventy is the fair benchmark here based on who he's playing with. So.
1: I'm going to say based on the confidence that he's displaying and the um, opportunity that he's given playing with like yesterday was Skinner and Paterko, but then it has been with Skinner and talk it, I feel like it's reachable, mm-hmm. but for me going from a player who was getting 20 points a season, 25 points a season and playing you know, 50 games going to 59 points and then going to 65 points and have that impact would be fantastic. If it's 70 it's 70, but being in the 65 point range would continue the, the belief that Casey is a big part of this team. And last one for
0: producer Jeff, because I think he's prodded us with this one multiple times. Will JJ Paterka in fact be a 30 goal scorer this year?
1: I think that again, 30 is a big number. Because I think on of pace
0: for thirty five right now.
1: Yeah. And on pace is is great. And Say Thompson was on pace. I'm merely for here to present the facts. I know. I know. And and solicit your opinion. I think twenty-five to thirty would be like where I think JJ could fit in. And it would be a really, really good, fantastic season, in my opinion. Anything over 30, I'm gonna start calling him a unicorn. That's that's what it would be. That would be unicorn land if JJ gets to over 30. So Duffer, for your well-being, um, you know, I mean, we'd all love JJ to be over 30, but if I start saying unicorn on the show, like, you know, back to back to back, you're 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 gonna go crazy. On that note see you we're gonna be back
0: with sabers live of course on a daily basis noon to one wgr sports radio 550 and msg and back in pod form thanks for being with us